0: What's going on everyone? It's that time again. It is time for the Down in the Valley podcast. I'm Todd Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. We're up to episode 14. I'm calling this one We Love You and it's being recorded in the wee hours of March 4th at the Todd Golden Studios in my basement in Terre Haute. My last night here in Terre Haute for a little while before I go over to St. Louis and it's the most wonderful time of the year, people. You need to get excited because we're talking about All Valley uh the All Valley teams awards. Who got named, who I think should have been named, making a case for various uh, you know, player of the year, coach of the year, etc. I love it. It's what people get fired up about. They don't stay fired up about it for long. Once the games start in St. Louis, it's all about the games, but it's fun to talk about this stuff. And we may do I hope to do anyway, another podcast before the games start, so a little bonus action this week after I uh, didn't do a podcast for part of February, but um, so why in the hell did I call this podcast We Love You, which is a Rolling Stones song from the 60s, kind of a psychedelic song, cool song. Well, like I said, this podcast is primarily about the uh, all-MVC teams and, you know, what are all-conference teams but an expression of love? for the players and their games. I mean, we, we will quibble here about who should be where and who should have been voted, and who, not necessarily who shouldn't have been, but uh, who maybe had a case for certain things. But the real truth is, is that all these players who were named, um, and this is gonna sound very touchy-feely, but are the best of the best in the league, and they all add to the tapestry that is the Missouri Valley Conference. Yes, I actually wrote that. And actually, set it with a straight face. So, oh, now that I've maxed out on my pretentious statements, let's get down to the arguing because that's what we're all here for. Um, or arguing, you know, I shouldn't put it that way. Just the discussion, um, the discourse over who should have been on uh, what team. So, let's get started right away with uh, the All Valley teams. And let me, before I do this, let me explain. Let me give you the disclaimers, the ones I've put in print in the past, I'm not going to write this out in a Down in the Valley blog, but uh, I have in the past, so you need to know how the voting works uh, from somebody who's been voting for a long time. First of all, and I put this in my materials every year because I always have somebody ask, why didn't you vote for, fill in the blank, Indiana State player? Well it's because I can't, and I can't vote for ISU players on any of the teams except the all improved and the all bench teams. I am allowed to vote for them there. Um, but in all the other categories, I am blocked from voting for ISU players. And it's a policy I completely support because um, you don't want to have anybody in the voting block that's biased. You don't want to have anybody who has an agenda. You don't want to have anybody who's close to the team um, basically ruining the the. Uh, um, you know the the legitimacy of the vote so I'm all I'm totally fine with that um, so no ISU players uh, to be voted on for me also another thing that's a relatively recent change the way the uh, the Valley does the All-Valley team it used to be um, that it was uh, it was a, a first and a second team and recently they added a third team however when we vote we only vote for the top ten. So we don't vote all the way down to the fifteenth player. So presumably the third team is comprised of the players that would have in the past been honorable mention. So um just a little kind of accounting, you know, to get Deloitte and whatever their name is, the uh the law firm that that legitimizes uh lotteries and whatnot. So anyway, that's how the vote works. So So keep in mind when I state this, even though there is a third team, we only voted for essentially the first and second team. So let's get to it. And first of all, let me tell you who's on the teams before I opine about who I would have had on them or who I did have on them. Um, First team, All-Valley, led by A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, very deserving. Um, Javon Freeman-Liberty from Valparaiso, also deserving. Also a sophomore, and also a sophomore on the All Valley team is Austin Five, center from Northern Iowa, who had a had a hell of a turnaround year after being out sick last year uh, or, or out with injury last year. Um, Cameron Krautwig, center, junior from Loyola, and the final first-team All Valley member is Tyreek Key from Indiana State, um, who I couldn't vote for, but. Uh, uh, Obviously, the voters of the league were impressed with Tyreek's game, and he gets, uh, he gets to be ISU's first uh, All-Valley first-teamer since Jake Odom was in 2014. So it's been a while for an ISU player to get there, and congratulations to Tyreek for uh, attaining that honor. The second team was Daryl Brown of Bradley, their longtime point guard. Uh, Bradley also put Elijah Childs, their junior forward, on the team. Missouri State is represented by Keandre Cook, their senior guard. The first freshman on the list is uh, Marcus Demosk from Southern Illinois, a guard who had a great um, debut in the league, and Liam Robbins, uh, listed as a forward but basically more like a center from Drake, uh, who had a great leap in improvement from his freshman to his sophomore year. Third team is consisted of Jordan Barnes uh, from Indiana State, who kind of re re uh, redefined his game this year, went back to being more of a uh, true point guard, and uh, really has done a really good job running the ICU offense. One thing I'll be talking to Greg Lansing about and the players in St. Louis is how turnover-free the Sycamores have been this year, and Jordan's a big part of that. Um, Tate Hall from Loyola, their transfers from Greenfield, Indiana, um, junior guard who was on the third team. He had a great year. Nate Connell, the longtime shootist from Bradley, tough guy, looks like a tough guy. He's got that cool tough guy face. Nate Canell does but deserving member of the third team Roman Penn from Drake their point guard who was uh, you know the both times I saw him he was outstanding uh, he was on the team and Gage Prim Missouri State's big forward um, uh, junior also transfer was the final member of the third team so those are your primary all-valley teams the ones that the one that everybody is shooting for to uh, to be included on so here's how I voted. Um obviously I had AJ Green on my first team. He was outstanding, best player on the best team in the league, completely deserving. Krautwig was also on my first team. Um and we'll get into Green and Krautwig a little bit later. Uh, Freeman Liberty, no doubter, first teamer, outstanding year from him, just kind of the engine that drove Valparaiso to having, you know, much better year than people thought and other than a slip right at the end, they they would have been out of the plan. So, uh, and that slip was partly because Freeman Liberty didn't play. So, uh, very impactful player for the Crusaders, and really their first player they've had in the league who really made a big imp- who's made a big impact. Um, the, the, but those were the three I agreed with. Now, of course, I couldn't vote for Tyreek Key, so you can throw that out. So I had two members on my first team that were not on the actual first team. And uh, one of them is Bradley's Daryl Brown, their point guard. I just think he's, um, when he's in the lineup for Bradley, he wasn't in every game this year. He missed the game here in Terre Haute. Um, But that offense just runs so much better with him uh, running it. And obviously, he can shoot. uh, He can get to the basket. He does everything you want a point guard to do. Uh, Bradley was, uh, you know, tied for third place. Uh, Outstanding player, and I think he deserves it. I don't think it's like a career accomplishment type of thing, but I think he gets it on merit. And the other member of my first team, and this is where there probably needs to be a little bit of an explanation and maybe an argument, is I had Liam Robbins on my first team. And um, I thought it's amazing the depth of this league that Drake is the eighth-seeded team in the Valley uh, because both times I saw Drake, they looked really good. And... um, and Liam Robbins was a big reason why of course Roman Penn their point guard was talismanic a word I like to use sometimes for the Bulldogs but um and here's why I basically voted for Robbins over Austin Fife who actually made the first team um they're different kind of centers Austin Fife of course is much bulkier than Robbins is Robbins is a little bit taller than Austin Austin Fife is actually quite a bit taller he's 7 foot Austin Fife is 6'9 um and their games are different. Austin Fife is probably more of a traditional center, but he's really good at it. You and I has always had a player like that when uh, when they've been good who can control the the middle and Austin Fife did a great job of that for the Panthers this year, but I think their offensive games are kind of a wash. The reason I voted for Robbins was is because I think his rim protection um, is really overlooked in his game and uh you look at their stats and then I'm talking all conference or conference only stats which i i'm one of those voters who only votes on conference games i couldn't care less what a player does when they're playing you know non division 1 games before conference play starts to me that that doesn't matter i know it even's out usually you have a couple you know most teams have a pr- primo opponent to kind of cancel out their tomato can opponent, but I don't care. Those games to me are meaningless in terms of determining all conference, which should be determined on what you did against conference players. But anyway, uh, Robbins had by led the Valley by far in block shots. He, he had 3.4 blocks per game in Valley play. Uh, Austin Fife only, I, I say only, this is a good total, but he had 1.1. So to me, on the defensive end, um, at least in terms of rim protection, Robbins' is head and shoulders better than Fife, and yeah, he's seven foot, so he's going to get some blocks. But I didn't think that this was a case of Robbins just kind of standing there and, um, you know, Manute Bolts, Manute bowl style and just uh, using his size to uh, to get his blocks. Robbins, the thing that impressed me about him is he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's a, he's like athletic in the sense like you think of him as a guard, but for a big man, he's. He he can move around a little bit. So he's earning his block shots by getting in a good defensive position and and getting them. So that was the tiebreaker for me in terms of whether I voted for Austin Fife or Liam Robbins for the first team. I voted for Robbins. The rest of the voters in the league went with Fife. I'm not gonna argue it. It's it's not like Austin Fife didn't deserve it. So uh, but that was my rationale on my vote. My second team was of course Fife, uh, who would have been my first um my first selection for the for the second team. I also put his teammate on there, Isaiah Brown, who didn't make any of these teams, which I'm gonna go in a little bit of a rant here, because it bugs me sometimes how the voters in this league, and, and let me tell you who the voters are, first of all, uh, because a lot of people think it's a pure media vote. Every time something goes wrong with either the preseason poll or the postseason awards, there's an element of people out there who are like, well, the media really screwed up. well, we're only about at least the newspaper guys are only not even a quarter of the vote. you throw in the radio play by play guys, then you're up to almost half um, The rest of the voting block has consisted of a couple of the broadcasters who televise games around the league so so if you saw you know the broadcasters, I'm thinking of John Rooney and Rich Zavosek and and those kind of guys, uh, Mitch Holtis, I'm sure they have a vote because they would have seen most of the teams. Um, Probably a couple other guys I'm leaving out. Um, but So there's a couple of those guys who vote. And then the rest of the block is the sports information directors who see every game and the coaches. So there's basically four and a half elements to the vote. And what bugs me is, is that defense is very rarely seen by enough of the voting block. And I remember when Tekel Cotton was at Wichita State, and now he, eventually the voters came around because Wichita was so good by the end of his time there, and I believe he may have made first team his last year as a shocker, but I remember I voted for him first team, um, I believe it was the year they went undefeated, and I'm not even so sure, I'd have to look back, I could be wrong about this, I know he didn't make first team but to me the voters in this league really undervalue the impact of defense and isaiah brown is the best defender in the league there's no question about it he was the defender of the year last year um he was the defensive mvp this year i haven't gotten to that award yet but he won it and it bugs me sometimes that the voters don't take the time to give defense some respect i suppose i made the same argument in a way for robbins for the first team but um isaiah brown you know points per game I mean it's not like he's bad and he can be clutch as he almost did against uh, Indiana State when they played at Holman Center a couple weeks ago but um, but defense is something that's overlooked on this team and I think the best defensive player deserves to be on um, you know one of the All-Valley teams so that was my rationale in voting for Isaiah Brown I mean and, and he was on the first place team so I think he deserves it it's unfortunate that he wasn't on any of these teams in my opinion. Um, my other second team votes went to Demasque, who was uh, the best. Uh, who was up until right maybe the last week and a half of the season was, um, you know, one of the better players in the in the valley. Um, Roman Penn I had on my second team, who uh, I just thought was outstanding in his first year as um, Drake's point guard. Now I can't remember. I don't. I don't have a copy of who I voted for. I, I don't remember if I even had the option to. Uh, but I either had Gage Prim or Keandre Cook as my other guy. One of the Missouri, I think it was Prim, that I had on my um, on my ballot for Missouri State. So um, those were my the players I voted for. When I look at the list, I I feel like I probably undersold Elijah Childs. I think I think Elijah Childs is great. I'm just not so sure he played enough games in the league to warrant it. That's always an argument that voters run into is. How many games should a player have played to the point where you start to devalue their um, their presence on the on the All Valley team? I remember when David Moss, uh, his senior year, missed um, missed January of the two thousand six season, and my argument as a voter now was a I was a new voter at that time. I was only my second year, but. My vote, my argument for him to be included on one of the teams was was that his absence almost demonstrated how valuable he was because when he did play i c was a different team um well if longtime sycamore fans will remember when he didn't play, they went O oh, for the month of January so um there's always kind of a you know yin and yang argument to that type of stuff. I don't know that I Denigrated Elijah Childs for that, but I kind of feel I probably could I probably should have had Childs on there. That might be an oversight on my part that um, I regret a little bit. Once you get down to the third teamers, you know I'm not gonna argue with any of their cases. Tate Hall was really good for Loyola this year. Canals, as I mentioned, is a tough player, and the rest of the players I couldn't vote for. You know the Indiana State players. So that's how I kind of viewed the uh, the uh, All Valley teams, which takes us to the thing that kind of rises out of the All-Valley teams, which is the Larry Bird Player of the Year voting. Now, I put a poll on Twitter on Monday. um, Or no, it was Sunday. Sunday was when I did it, when I was uh, engaging in my own voting. And all along, even in the early part of the Valley season, it seemed extremely clear to me that the Player of the Year um, vote was going to come down to A.J. Green or Cameron Krautwig. Uh, to me, those are two of the best players in the in the league, and that's nothing against Javon Freeman Liberty, who was outstanding. Um, but as outstanding as Javon Freeman Liberty was, when you're talking about Player of the Year, you do have to take into account at least a little bit the the success of the team. And you know, you and I finished first. Loyola finished second. Uh, Valparaiso finished, um, you know, as the uh, seventh seed in the Valley Tournament. Ultimately, so to me, that kind of was an elimination for Freeman Liberty as good as he was um, and so it came down to green and krautwig and um first of all in the in the course of doing this vote, and this poll I did on Twitter got like almost six hundred votes, which for me is pretty good actually and 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 it started a debate among you and I and Loyola fans, which I was having a lot of fun just reading because it's cool to see the fan bases. Uh, Go at it, especially fan bases. I don't don't even cover, Um, but it's good to know that they're if if they want to use me as a as a means of fighting with one another, you know, go crazy. But I I thought I was disappointed in the respect of um, the fact that you know the kind of the stupidity of social media and how people are so black and white about how they make their arguments. You know, I read some ridiculous things both ways about how. Um, You know, one player was totally undeserving. Um, Some of the arguments I saw against Green were silly about he's, you know, he's just a volume scorer and doesn't do anything else. The arguments against Krautwig were that Austin Fife is better and does this and does that. All of it was just completely biased nonsense. I mean, both players were completely deserving of this award. As it turns out, A.J. Green won it, and that doesn't surprise me. He had 39 first-place votes to Krautwig's 10. Um, kind of like the coach of the year voting, which I'll get into later, but um, there is a tyranny of sorts in terms of how the voting block treats the leading scorer in the league, for one thing, and especially when the leading scorer in the league is on a championship team. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, well, geez, you know, why the hell wouldn't they give him more um dap than you know somebody else and I get that Um, I'm just pointing out my observation as a as a longtime voter I mean that's if you do if you pull that off uh, you're going to probably win the player of the year award so and and I'm not knocking it and like I said both AJ Green and Cameron Krautwig were in my opinion both deserving and I knew it would be one of the two so but let me tell you about how I broke it down Um, because I voted completely chalk on this I would have had Freeman Liberty as my third place which he got Um, but actually I didn't vote chalk so I'll get to that in a second Um, but let me talk about how I kind of parse A.J. Green versus Cameron Krautwig and the first thing I look at is Green's impact versus Krautwig's and they both have a massive impact on their teams I mean Green is instant offense from anywhere on the court he gets rightful attention for being a great three-point shooter with enormous range he can hit from pretty much anywhere within 35 feet pretty consistently um but it's not just that as far as i'm concerned with green i mean indiana state did a really good job when they played most recently of running him off the three-point line especially late in the game but all green does is, is dribble around the uh the defender is pushing him off the line and fires off an off-balance mid-ranger, and he's perfectly capable of doing that too. And obviously he gets to the line quite a bit. So um he's just a, you know, I don't, even though he played the most amount of minutes in the league, which does inflate his numbers a little bit, I don't put him in the same category. Like, say, I used to criticize Colt Ryan at Evansville for where he was playing, Deep into garbage time of games and putting up some numbers. I mean, sorry, Colt Ryan, if you're listening, but um, that was kind of a knock I had about his career at Evansville. But Green, I think, is earning his points mostly in close games for you and I. I don't feel like he's getting cheapos. So um, he's just a great scorer, much in the way that Doug McDermott was for Creighton when he was in the league and players like that. So obviously his offense is outstanding best offensive player in the in the league without question krautwig to me however is the best player and i'm talking about every facet of the game in the league and the reason i say that is because he can dominate in the post the way his frame would dictate he should be i mean krautwig's a big boy um former football player looks like it looks like he should be playing defensive tackle um but he's six nine and bulky and he can pushy around in the paint so in that sense he's like a traditional good post is plus he has really good footwork plus he's a great finisher so if it were even that alone Krautwig would be one of the best players in the league just purely as a traditional center Um, and he's dangerous facing the basket or with his back to it he can score either way or or you know make the offense run and that's the big difference to me with Krautwig versus Green in a way they're both they, they, they're they who the offense runs through on both teams. Green, a traditional point guard. Krautwig, a completely non-traditional point center, which we've never really seen in the Valley, at least not recently. And Green is a matchup nightmare for the defense just because of how skilled he is. But that's a traditional nightmare in the sense you can at least try to scheme for it. You may not stop him anyway, but you know you're going to try to double-team Green or um, you know run them off the three point line those are things that you can plan for I don't know that you can plan for what Krautwig does to a defense because what I saw Krautwig do at his best this year and I saw him at his best and I saw him at his worst he was absolutely breathtaking when he played at Indiana State up at Loyola I mean he almost had a triple double he was much more silent when Loyola played at Holman center however the whole team was basically silent after they got waxed by the sycamores, but um, Krautwig will get the ball away from the, from the uh, paint and usually on the baseline and you take him away from the, you know, you're, you're, you're creating the same matchup problem that you would for like a stretch forward where you're taking a traditional defender who would defend Krautwig out of their comfort zone as kind of in rim protection mode in the paint. It's not that Krautwig is that mobile, but his vision is so amazing and his passing skills are so dead on, at least in the games I watched him, that you're asking defenders to do some things that they're not used to doing. You can't put a guard on Krautwig. Then he'll just basically bowl you over and go to the hoop. Try to put a post player out on the perimeter like that. You're compromising your defense in so many different ways. And his vision is so good that he just... uh, he He's a completely unique player in that respect, and um, I think he's the best player in the league, personally. That's not a knock on green. Don't take it that way, please. I just think he does things that I've never seen a, a, a center in the Valley do. Um, and obviously his experience having been on the Final Four team when he was a freshman, and his leadership are also big for the Ramblers, who frankly, you know, really weren't that deep this year. They have a good starting five, but, and that was kind of a theme that runs through a lot of teams in the Valley this year. There wasn't a lot of depth, but they needed what he did and very nearly, you know, at least caught you and I for the league title for it. So that's my eye test observation of Krautwig. When you look at the statistics, and I'm talking about the advanced statistics, the metrics, uh, Krautwig wins that too mainly because of his ability to, to dish the ball and uh, and his assists, but it's also because of his defense, and Krautwig is a better defender. I mean, they're defending completely different people, but he's a def- better defender than Green was. Green's defensive metrics, depends on which one you look at, are not wonderful. I know one of them I saw had him in negative territory. The I think it's the BPM that they do on Sports Reference, but Krautwig is a plus defender, too, and You know, again, people don't give defense enough uh, consideration when they're looking at these uh, awards and these honors. But um, Krautwig is fifth in the league, and we're not talking about rim protection here. He was fifth in the league in steals as as a center. And, you know, granted, his footwork and his hands help him against bigger players who don't have the handles he does. Uh, But hey, you know, you, you can't knock him for that. I mean, that's a skill he has. And, you know, I would say he's the second most defender on Loyola behind Lucas Williamson. So, on you and I, Green is not a you know I, I'm not saying he's a bad defender, but he is. You don't look at you and I and say Green is the stopper. I mean, obviously that's Isaiah Brown. Austin Fife does a really good job in the paint of that, and there's others. You and I throws out you know in the games I've seen this year, I know he had an inconsistent year, but Taiwan Pickford can go in there and create some problems defensively. Uh, Austin Kimmons can. Um, Trey Burhau can. I mean, you and I does a great job of defending collectively, and then having a big stopper like Isaiah Brown usually to defend the best forward or guard. So, just different ways of skinning a cat. But I, I just think, I just think Krautwig I, I voted for Krautwig so, but having said that, I'm sure as hell not going to knock anybody who voted for Green. I don't look at it that way. I, I know fans get passionate and stuff like that. I get it. But, um, you know, they're both deserving. And uh, congratulations to Green for getting it. So let's move on to the other teams. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the other ones. But just to let you know where I was at, uh, the all-freshman team was consisted of... Donovan Clay from Valparaiso, Marcus DeMosc, as we mentioned, from Southern, who um, got the Freshman of the Year award as well. DJ Horn, a guard from Illinois State. The Redbirds struggled this year, but Horn had his moments. Good shooter. Uh, Marquise Kennedy from Loyola, a very highly touted recruit coming in. and uh, He he was also the uh, sixth man of the year in the league. And a good year for the freshman, who will be expecting big things from him in the future uh, with the Ramblers. And uh, Jake Laravia from Indiana State, a forward who, um, you know, really kind of, along with Trey Williams, who could have been on this team as well, really kind of transformed the fortunes of the Sycamores in in the paint. And both of those guys were probably the best post players Indiana State's had in quite a while. My ballot for all freshmen, I had everybody except swap out Horn and LaRavia, who I couldn't vote for, for uh, Vile Tavanainen from Bradley, and Lance Jones from Southern Illinois, who really kind of came on towards the end of the year. The all-defensive team was Isaiah Brown, as I've already talked about. Javon Freeman-Liberty from Valparaiso, another really good defender. Um, Liam Robbins from Drake, who obviously made it due to his shot blocking. Lucas Williamson from Loyola kind of like Isaiah Brown in Liberty, just a good one-on-one defender. And Christian Williams from Indiana State, who I couldn't vote for, but uh would have voted for if I could have. Certainly, and that goes for LaRavia, the freshman team as well. Um Christian Williams also had a big hand in uh literally in uh transforming the Sycamores' uh fortunes especially in the four-game win streak that they're currently on. He's been outstanding. Um he has long arms and he's disruptive. Um uh, and is also a good one-on-one defender. So good to see him on the team. Uh, my all-defensive team was everybody. I couldn't. I, everybody. I couldn't. I couldn't vote for Williams, as you know. So the guy I had, and this is one where I will cop to some observational bias, which a lot of voters in the league it's natural to have to see if if a guy had some good games when you saw him to give him some um, respect in the voting, and that certainly is a case for me because. Bradley's Ari Boya, their big center, um, was just ripped the Sycamores apart in both games. I mean, even the game they won at home and Center Boya was pretty dominant uh, with his big seven foot frame. So, um, and he's obviously in in the rim protector mode of uh, the all defensive team. So, but I would have voted for Williams if I could have. So, um, but good for Ari Boya. He had a nice uh, defensive year for Bradley. The all-newcomer team was also Damask, who I mentioned, uh, Laravia, um, Tate Hall from Loyola, nice guard for the Ramblers from, as I mentioned, from Greenfield via U of Indy, uh, making a nice jump up to to D1, Um, Roman Penn from Drake, very deserving, and Gage Prim from Missouri State, their big bulky uh, forward who um, was a solid presence for the Bears and, you know, kind of helped them steady the ship a little bit uh, in the second half of the Valley season um my all newcomer team had all but laravia and instead i had barrett benson from southern illinois who i'm kind of surprised uh didn't make this team because i thought benson was outstanding this year for the salukis um in some ways better than was so um but benson who transferred in from northwestern um had a very nice year for the salukis so he was who i included but um So those were the teams that were named on Tuesday. Now, there's a couple other teams that get named uh, later today on Wednesday. That would be the all-improved and all-bench teams. And I'm not going to, I guess I won't go completely through who I voted for for both. I will say that on the all-improved team, which we have to name a team captain for the team, included among the five that we vote for, Um, If Liam Robbins from Drake doesn't get that captain for all-improved, then people ought to have their heads examined. I mean, he made a huge leap from his freshman year where he backed up Nick McGlynn and kind of looked gangly like a lot of freshmen do and and, uh, had his moments but struggled a lot. He was a transformed player this year. He was outstanding for the Bulldogs. As far as the all-bench team, um, we don't have to name – Uh, Well, yeah, I guess we do have to name a sixth man. Obviously, Marquise Kennedy got it. So I'd Kennedy, Garrett Sturts from Drake, Tavaneen from Bradley, um, Ari Boya from Bradley, and John Kaiser from Valparaiso. So those that was my all bench team. Coach of the year is named on Thursday. That's done at the banquet that they do before the practices start um, for Arch Madness on Thursday for the teams that begin on Friday. I think Ben Jacobson from Northern Iowa will win because, and not that he doesn't deserve it, he completely deserves it, but there is a block of voters in the league who will automatically vote for the league champ no matter what. Um, it's very, it's kind of rare for a non-league champion coach to win coach of the year. Um, in my case, I voted I voted Jacobson second. Um, I had Northern Iowa second in my preseason poll. I did pick Missouri State um, like, like most did. I gave my first place vote to Brian Mullins at Southern Illinois, and I know the Salukis slipped in the last two weeks of the season. They went from potentially being as high as second or third down to um, the five seed in the Valley Tournament, faltered a bit down the stretch, but I don't think it would be fair to Judge Mullins on that two-week period when For most of the Valley season, they were a pretty serious threat to everybody in the league. Um, And then you factor in the fact that they were picked last in the league, finished fifth. I mean, you're talking about a five-spot improvement. I know things evolve and morph and change through the course of a season, but I thought Mullins did a great job um, steering an SIU roster that didn't have a whole lot of experience on it. Eric McGill. was really the only player who played a lot. Aaron Cook was the other, and he and he, wasn't even a factor this year. So um, Mullins did a great job molding some transfers like Benson and freshmen like Domask into a really good team and a tough team to play. And I think he deserves Coach of the Year. I don't think he's going to get it, but I think he deserves it. So he was my vote. My third-place vote, we vote on three, um, was uh, Porter Moser from Loyola. I think... Um, Loyal, although they weren't a big surprise to be up in the top two. Um, This team wasn't as deep as some of the Rambler teams of recent ilk, and uh, so he did a good job getting them um, to second place. The big question ISU fans are asking right now is, if I was allowed to vote for Greg Lansing, would I have had him on my ballot? And I would have. I would have had him second on my ballot. I still would have voted for Mullins for Coach of the Year because of the big improvement that SIU made. Um, but when you look at the Sycamores, I mean, they finished three spots higher than they were predicted. Um, and that was with Lansing on the hot seat. And though the vagaries of the home and center renovation and the weird preseason schedule that it created didn't really affect conference play that much. Um, you know, it was still a weird season and it was still a season that had some pressure to it. And I think you got to give Greg, I've already, I spoke about it on the last podcast, but I think you got to give him a lot of credit for getting this program steered in the right direction in a year where almost every other coach that's been in this situation, and I'm not talking about coaches that have had the chance to dig their way out like Lansing has because most don't get that chance, um, but even coaches who are clearly in their final year Um, it usually doesn't go well. It just doesn't. I mean, you look at the history of it and very few coaches are able to salvage it to save themselves. And um, for a lot of different reasons, recruiting being part of it, uh, getting Laravia and Williams, um, embracing some new ideas and being a little less dogmatic about the way the team plays is a part of it. I think Kareem Richardson's presence has helped a lot. Um, I think he's been a great addition to the staff this year. Um and the fact that this team had pretty good chemistry from day one. And, you know, the players build that, but the coaches help. And, um, you know, Lansing has done a good job of um helping to create that chemistry. And let's not forget, ISU, although they've been mainly healthy for their core players, they've had some roster turmoil down where your depth is. I mean, Blake Brinkmeyer, gone, you know. Before the season even started, basically, uh, Tyshawn Martin, who was a walk-on but kind of an important player, he played a decent amount last year and was probably slated to play a decent amount this year. Gone after the, um, I think it was the Missouri Saint Louis game. Um, Chris Agbo's situation um, is kind of almost forgotten about by ISU fans, but remember he was supposed to be an important part of the, of the puzzle in terms of ISU's uh, post-game was concerned. So. There were some challenges this, this year that have kind of been also forgotten about. And the T and Lansing was able to navigate those. And, you know, like I said, he did a lot better than a lot of recent MVC coaches that have been in the same spot he was. So I don't think he's going to win Coach of the Year. Um, but I think he will get some votes, which it's I'd have to look and see when Lansing got coach of the year votes last time. It's it's been a little while. Might have been two thousand four. 14 maybe or 15 when he last got votes um but I think he will get some votes this time and I think he deserves to get some votes so we'll see what happens on Thursday um but I expect Ben Jacobson to win it I mean it's like I said it's very difficult for the league championship coach to not win it and hey Jake deserves it and a good guy to boot so so that's kind of the awards thing. I don't know what you think. You probably think I'm either dead on or stupid or a little combination of both, but there you are. Uh, so let's talk about another contentious subject, and that's the new ISU Athletics logo that was released today and in um, a ceremony over at Tyree Hall at ISU. And I'm not going to lie, um, when they do these ceremonies at the ISU academic buildings, um. You know, I can tell you every nook and cranny of the ISU Arena, Holman Center, uh, Memorial Stadium, Bob Warren Field, Price Field, the Track and Field Stadium, you name it, wherever else ISU teams compete. I'm all over that. I know those places well. You put me in one of the academic buildings, and I'm in deep trouble. Um, I was slightly late today uh, for the for the unveiling because um, I had a bad It wasn't Google Maps. It was whatever the Maps app on my phone is. And it led me to the wrong spot on campus. So, yeah, I'm an idiot and couldn't find Tyree Hall at first. And recovered and got there in time, and it was fine. But um, that was frustrating. Plus, I wasn't feeling well, so that didn't help. But anyway, um, by now you've probably seen it. Um, The logo, it's hard to explain a logo in an audio format, but... um, As a stylized version of the state of Indiana, kind of a more, oh, like if a robot did a drawing of Indiana, this is what the robot would come up with. So, for example, where the Wabash River meets the Ohio River, where it's kind of rounded off um, in real life, it's more like a triangle down there at the bottom. So a lot of people have commented on that and don't care for it. Fine. Um, So anyway, the, the state of Indiana is stylized. And in the past, of course, you had a script Sycamores logo that was arched over the top of Indiana. Uh, Indiana was, in the, the primary logo, was white, and the Sycamores thing was blue in script over the top. So it still more or less carries that design, but with different elements to it. The state of Indiana itself has a big, giant eye over the top of it, which I believe is in, I'm not looking at it right now, it should be, but it was in, in gray, um... Uh, over the top of the state and then there's still an element of a sycamore arching over the middle of the state of Indiana except it's not in the script logo it's in more of a block format so um, very much more modern looking logo Um, and as all things new when they come out there is a whole crap load of people who really didn't care for it at least you know, I was kind of bitching about it on my social media on Tuesday. You know, I don't know why I was predisposed to do this, but to me, this is kind of a, you know, a test study in how social media works. I mean, social media is kind of a negative medium. And so I think people get off and I am just as guilty as many are sometimes of getting their take in and kind of a hit and run type thing where, oh, this sucks. You know, I hate it. And just kind of bolting and I think there's a certain entertainment level that people get out of that. Okay, fine. I mean, I, I, I don't. I'm not knocking that, but I do tend to kind of react in a contrarian way to some of that stuff because some of it, I think, is just people trying to top each other and how you know disdainful they can be. Who knows? I don't know. That's just kind of my take on social media, which I'm kind of down on right now. But anyway. Um, I first saw the logo last week, I didn't want to reveal it to anybody, I had a couple fans who apparently also saw it, who were asking me about it, and I didn't want to tip my hand that I had seen it. Um, I'll admit, the first time I saw it, I was like, whew, that is not going to go over well with the fans, because the thing I noticed was the stylized Indiana, that was the thing that jumped out to me. Today I've had people describe it to me as a boot, I don't really see that, but okay um i just thought it was so different from the actual kind of geographically accurate version of indiana that was in the the uh, previous logo that people would just viscerally react to it negatively because people don't like change i mean i was talking to mark alesia today who used to work for the indy star now he works for indiana state and we've both been around the business a while and when newspapers newspapers don't do this as much anymore but newspapers used to do what they called a redesign you know maybe every five years or so and what it meant was is you might change a font in the paper you might change the headline style you might switch where comics were in the paper that kind of thing and every time a newspaper did it people would freak out and you know I'm going to cancel my subscription and all that stuff and then like a week later everybody would get used to it and forget about it so I have a feeling that's how this is going to go with the logo. There'll be some diehard people who will hate it forever. But um, we'll see. When I saw it again today, I wasn't quite as taken aback by it. Now, of course, I'd seen it, so I knew I knew I, I was prepared for what I was going to see. But I don't mind it. I think it's okay. I don't think it's, like, awesome. I don't think it's terrible. Like a lot of people have told me they think it is uh i just think it's okay and um in the presentation that Sherard, Kling scales and ace hunt did um it was explained to the audience and then there was also a pretty lengthy uh press release that was handed out to the people who went to the ceremony today it was explained that part of the problem that they had with the former logo was that um they were ha- one of the main problems they had was um they were having trouble reproducing it In terms of the merchandising that they were wanting to do for example um, you know if they wanted to do t-shirts and stuff like that it cost more to do an ISU t-shirt than it did to do uh, say a school with a more modern logo like the like the newer version of the IU logo Um, and I'm guessing and I know nothing about printing t-shirts but my guess is is that process has become more digitized over the years which The ISU logo that has been used actually goes way back to 1988 um, before that was even a consideration and um, so that was part of it my guess is if you were trying to reproduce the ISU logo because this I'm just looking at this from a pure font standpoint or pure like when I photoshopped ISU stuff I create our graphics for the paper and the ISU logo is a little tricky because the state of Indiana itself is so thin, so it kind of. If you were putting it on a, I'm I'm definitely spitballing here, but if you put it on like a dark blue or an, even an ISU blue shirt, a lot of that would bleed in. Again, I'm spitballing. I could be totally talking out of my ass right now, but I can see where it would be difficult to reproduce. Um... And of course, you know, a lot of ISU's fan base, I have had people ask me over the years, why don't I see, and they brought this up during the presentation, you know, why don't I see the shirt at some of the retailers around Terre Haute? They carry, you know, IU gear and Purdue gear and uh, even Illinois gear. Um, And apparently what was claimed to me is that the merchandisers, it costs more to make a shirt, so you're not going to obviously make as much money on it, so they don't carry it. Probably another unsaid part of it is I don't sell as many of them, but we'll leave that alone for right now. But um, So that was one of the reasons for a new logo. Um, another reason is, and this is something that ISU has been working on for a long time, you know, in, in the modern age of branding and um, wanting to kind of have your teams under one umbrella, ISU's logo was antiquated in that sense, and a lot of schools have created new logos so they could unify their branding. And I know that sounds like probably a bunch of gobbledygook to most of you who couldn't care less about branding, but it is important if you're a university, and it is important if you're an athletics program that wants to have an image that you want to put out there to the public that isn't you know four or five different logos. And that, and ISU didn't have four or five different logos, but I understand the rationale on that. The desire to have a unified branding goes way before Sharon Clink Scales. I can remember talking to Ron Prettyman about it back in the late 2000s. Um, Nothing was done about it necessarily at the time, but it was bandied about the fact that they needed a new logo. And I've heard a lot of interesting discussions about it over the years. You know, do we change the shade of blue? Do we um, go back in some respect to the 70s version of the, maybe not the logo, but the color scheme where red was was an accent color? Um... You know, of course, black was a popular accent color for most of the 90s and the 2000s. That was bandied about quite a bit. And ISU has used black as an accent color in some of its uniforms over the years. Um, football notably used it for a little while in the early 2010s. Um, so it's been talked about. It's been in the in the air for quite a long time. And then, of course, you know, there's been... Um, things like the rogue logo that i love to make fun of on twitter that was made by a marketing employee i think it was in 09 maybe um who just decided to do it of their own volition and somehow got the thing out to merchandiser so you still see it's the one with the kind of the real i don't know what font it is but it's more um i want to use the right word here the script on the logo was a little bit more flowery than the one that was the real logo. So that was done without any athletics input. And it's funny to me because it kind of illustrates ISU at its worst in terms of working together. But um wasn't funny to Ron Prettyman at the time. I know he was irate about it when that happened, and they quickly got it pulled. But you still see those shirts floating around. Um, so anyway, as Clink Skills explained, during the presentation. This process started a little bit after he began. Originally, the process was done through a different firm than Old Hat, who they ultimately used. Um, I was told that some of the logos that were, and and Sherard mentioned this during the presentation as well, were, they didn't fit an athletics footprint because the company that they used was more used to making actual university logos like for the whole university, similar to the ISU's Leaf that they use so it didn't really fit the mission, and so they scrapped that, and eventually Old Hat was partnered with, and Old Hat wanted to get in with a school. Um, They wanted to get into the athletics branding game, and ISU was a school. They basically offered to do it. I don't have the numbers, and I'll have to find them, but um, they did it at basically a cut rate um, to get get the fact out there that they're doing athletic logos, so that's how Old Hat got partnered with, and Um, ultimately Old Hat came up with the logo we saw. Interestingly Old Hat, the company, which is based out of Oklahoma put out a release around the time that ISU did their logo and they had the alternate logos that they came up with which I'm not sure if ISU was thrilled with that or not I I didn't see it until after I'd spoken with their people but uh, many of them featured a prominent prominently featured the leaf um, a stylized version of it um, that's in the the actual university logo um with some of the same most of the block fonts were the same in these logos um so it was interesting to see what they kind of left on the cutting room floor but um anyway so you know they wanted to unify the branding and there's a couple of exceptions um they kept i never really even noticed it until it was mentioned in the in the um Presentation today, but track and field has always used a little bit of a unique script on their, on their, um, on their jerseys uh, that they, you know, that the runners run with, and I guess the coaches have used it on their on their paraphernalia too. I just don't notice stuff like that as much. I've noticed it on the track and field uniforms, but, you know, I guess I've never made the distinction that track and field uniforms, branded the same way as other teams did. So it shows you how much I was paying attention, but. Anyway, Indiana State Track and Field has been allowed to keep that script logo they've been using. So their uniforms won't really change that drastically. And for both baseball and softball, they will continue to use the interlocking IS that they've used on their caps. But that's on caps only. That, that's the only place where that's allowed. And that's not unusual for a team to have a different cap logo than their actual athletic logo. Because some of them translate and some of them don't. You, know, you think of IU, IU's logo looks good on a cap. You think of uh, Illinois State, at least their their logo with all the word wording in it, that would not look good on a cap. So they probably, they just use the bird head, which is, you know, also part of their logo. But, um, so those are the exceptions. But everybody else eventually will be using the new ISU logo. So, um, and the other thing, you know, the thing is, they were pretty diplomatic in the presser today. But then this one really jumped out at me when I read this in the um, press release, because this is unusually blunt uh, for a press release. But there was just a desire, too, to just have something new. I mean, let's be honest. Um, And the IC logo that was used had a real that was a longer run than I thought. I didn't realize it went back that far to 1988. So you're talking about 32 years with one logo. And this is, I'm quoting this from the press release, but Um, It says, um, when describing what they now call the vintage logo, from a visual standpoint, the 88 to 2020 logo simply looks outdated. The logo was last redesigned in 1988 prior to the advent of digital technology that allows for athletic marks to be more current and modern. Simply put, the 88 to 2020 logo appears old and antiquated which negatively affects Indiana State from a national perception, fan engagement, and recruiting standpoint. That is um, pretty blunt, probably a little harsh. Um, I don't know what I really... I never really thought much about the old logo. I mean, I had a lot of people be really passionate about it to me. This is where, as a reporter, I'm in a weak spot. I was talking about this with one of my close friends today, and normally as a reporter it's 98% of the time it's to your advantage to take the dispassion or take the passion out of it and be dispassionate when you're looking at a player you don't want to get passionate about you know their game how much you like them personally and all that you ha- it's my job to look at everybody dispassionately and judge them that way trying to judge a logo dispassionately is not how it works and I allude back to my own teams that I follow. Um, I'm, I cover Indiana State. I didn't go to Indiana State. I'm, I, it's not that I don't want Indiana State to do well, but I'm here to do a job. I'm not here as a fan. So I don't look at Indiana State the way a fan does. So it's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of the fans who this is part of, this is what they support. So I was thinking of trying to put myself in their shoes and think of the teams that, that I've followed that have switched logos. And um, my favorite baseball team, as you all know, is the Milwaukee Brewers. And they went back to a version of their ball-and-glove logo for this year. So people love that ball-and-glove logo. We love it as Brewer fans. Most non-Brewer fans really like it. Um, but they tweaked it for this year. It's, it's not quite the same as the one that they used in the 80s. Um, and the tweak is really minor. I mean, they filled in the the gap in the glove, basically, for where the M and the B form a glove. If you didn't know it was an M and a B, now you do. Um, and Brewer fans were freaking out about it. And I'm like, you know, it's so minor that most people aren't even going to notice it. You know, most casual fans anyway. But it illustrated to me how people probably feel about this logo change at ISU. And um, so for once, I think my dispassion on this is a disadvantage and probably doesn't give me a very good way to gauge it. You know, I'm looking at this as purely a logo, you know, it's, and like I said, I think it's okay. I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's great. But for somebody who, you know, bled blue and white for 32 years with that logo, I don't know that I could put myself in their shoes to see how this new logo looks. So, in that sense, I have to kind of give the people a break who were negative about it, despite my screed about social media earlier, and, you know, give them their space. I do think people will get used to it. Um, and I think, in a weird way, I see fans might get used to it if other fan bases and logo sites criticize it because nothing unifies a fan base like when somebody from the outside uh, criticizes them. So we'll see. I mean, it's, it's going to take some getting used to. I think the more success ISU's teams have in it will certainly help. And um so that's where that stands. One thing I didn't mention about the logo too that I should have, um, they actually incorporated a new color into the scheme as well. The accent color on the logo is what they call um oh I don't even remember what they call it. I don't have it in front of me, but it's gray. And I think it looks okay. I'm glad they went with gray over black. I'm kind of down on black as an accent color. I think that's, that fad has moved on. Um, I'm no graphic designer. I think it would, I would have loved to have seen it in blue, like a light, not, not like a baby blue. That would have been too much of a contrast, but um, maybe like a sky blue or a cornflower blue or something like that. But again, I'm no designer and that might look hideous. So maybe I'll Photoshop it and look at it, but. Um, anyway um, so that's the new logo and it was big news today um, on campus here um, in Terre Haute and obviously generated a lot of passion which they were hoping for so um, I don't want to get too much into Arch Madness yet I may do another like I said I may do another podcast before the games begin Um, may occupy some of my time on Thursday may talk to some people over in St. Louis uh, to get their thoughts um, I do want to talk real quickly about the Valparaiso game, which is in the past, IC won 71-58 uh, at Holman Center, and it was basically a processional kind of victory, which uh, is not a bad thing. Um, Valparaiso was shorthanded again. Uh, they were missing Freeman Liberty, pretty big piece to miss. And Nick Robinson, who I never even saw play this year, who actually was an ISU verbal, if you remember way back when Jordan Barnes verbaled, um, Back in 2015, I think it was. But um, shorthanded Valpo team, they hung in there for a little while, but ISU, uh, you know, took the lead pretty early and held on to it and really were never threatened in the game by the Crusaders. So turned out to be a huge win. ISU, by that point, had gotten themselves out of any kind of Thursday considerations, but uh, they maxed out. They got to the number three seed, and um, which. If you would have told somebody two weeks earlier that ISU would have been in a three-hole in the Valley tournament, they would, would have never bought it. So, um, you know, they finished the season right. In some ways, this season reminds me of 2011, where ISU finished the, that Valley season with five straight Valley wins. They lost to Moorhead State in the between there, um, when uh, Kenneth Fareed came to Holman Center and um, back in the Bracket Buster days, but. Um, you know, and I, I, while I'm thinking about it, I think that 2011 team is misremembered by a lot of fans, both at ISU and definitely around the league. I think that the feeling years on is that that team just got hot at the right time. I don't think that's accurate at all. That team finished third. They won their last five games. And if you remember, they won their first eight games of the Valley season too. They got, they had a, I think a five game losing streak in the middle of that. And so actually that team was a lot better, was was more often better than not that season. I don't think that was a case of that team getting hot. That team was just good. And so is this team good enough to do the same thing? Well, I guess we'll find out. I don't like the matchup against Missouri State. I remember talking about that in the podcast last week, that that was, would have been better to avoid them. That's not to say that ISU can't beat them, because they beat every team in the league this year, so they can beat anybody. Um Would have preferred to have have Southern Illinois, probably would have preferred to have Valparaiso, especially in the health state that they're in, um, which was a possibility. Um, So, uh, but that's who the Sycamores got. So they're going to have to figure out a way to uh, um, keep Tulio Da Silva under check, keep Gage Prim under check, keep Keandre Cook under check, and keep Lamont West under check, which they didn't do in the matchup at uh, Holman Center. So... We'll hopefully talk about that a little bit more, um, assuming I do another podcast before the tournament starts. i hoping to do one before the Thursday games, but we'll see if I'm able to pull that off. Got a lot of balls to juggle between now and then. So anyhow, that's it for episode 14. Uh, we love you, which I do love you, just so you know. But um, we'll be back and uh, we'll be in St. Louis, one of the best times of the year. At uh, Enterprise Center, I'm, I'm so old I remember when it was Savis Center, um, and I'm sure there's people older than me that remember when it was Keel Center. So uh, anyway, it's a wonderful time of the year. We'll be back, and uh, thanks for listening.